Hey, welcome to Window of Opportunity, a Stargate Rewatch podcast. I'm Carrie. I'm Rachel. And today we're talking about Stargate SG-1 Season 1, Episode 5, The First Commandment. And with us, we have special guests this week. Look at us like being all podcasty with like a theme song and special guests. <laughs> and other people actually wanting to talk to us. I know, it's fantastic. Anyway, you know them, you love them. It's the Cobra guys, Mikey and Jeremy. Woo! I am Jeremy. I'm Mikey. Thanks for coming on, guys. Thanks for having us. Uh, all, by the way, your new theme song is very badass. Oh, it's Isn't wonderful. It? Like, Super jelly. I mean, <laughs> like, I love the theme song so much as it is, and now, like, hearing it as, like, a rock guitar riff just, yeah. like, blew my mind. Like, when it's I first heard, so amazing. When I first heard the new song on the podcast, I was like, yeah, it's pretty good. But then, like, the real stargate part comes in, and it just yeah. takes you away. Yeah, when I when I first heard it, you were listening to it across the room. And I'm hearing it, I'm like, what am I listening to? And then I heard the Stargate, and I was like, holy shit! Yeah. Kyle's amazing. He's fantastic. Thank he you, Kyle. He seems to have that down to an art form. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Kyle's amazing. Again, we love you, Kyle. Thank you again so much for doing that for us. It's fantastic. So, before we get into this episode, Mikey, Jeremy, what's your guys' history with Stargate? Like, did you see the movie? How'd you make the transition to the TV show? Tell us everything. Um, well, I definitely had seen the movie. And the show was out for a long time before I had even discovered it. And I remember I was at Jeremy's house. And uh, we went into his living room. And his dad was watching, like, a rerun of Stargate just on, like, what, like, Fox or whatever? Yeah, yeah. And it was, I think, season six, it was the episode where they find the ancient buried in the ice. Oh, you know? okay. Which is a really weird one, but then just yeah. all of a sudden I was like, what is this show? I must watch is this. Mm. And yeah. then I ended up getting, like, uh, I don't even know how old I was. I must have been, I wasn't out of high school yet. Yeah. And uh, I went to, I think it was an FYE or something like that. Mm -hmm. And oh. I thought... Yeah, I bought the <laughs> first two seasons of SG-1 on DVD in those big-ass... Yep. Boxes. Yep. And I I paid sixty dollars for one and seventy for another. <laughs> yeah. I gotcha. no, that's 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 shit. what I did too. Yeah. That yeah. Investment. <laughs> and since then, obsessed. You know what I mean. And I've had the yeah. DVDs. I've watched the whole show through so many times. And we have the box set. Yeah, and all oh, the yeah. badass box set with the Stargate on the front of it. Yeah. Oh, oh that's the one I have. You have yeah. the, the big complete ten season thing. Yes, absolutely. Nice. And, you know, I thought and about I went, that. I followed but, all the way through all the shows. I eventually got to the point it was like season nine and I was watching it like as it was happening on TV. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that my dad was one of these people who thinks the aliens built the pyramids. Oh, so, he really thinks that? Yeah. Like he read Chariots of the Gods and was obsessed with it and stuff. Wow. And um, so when Stargate came out, that was like kind of his shit because he was like but, uh, into Star Trek and, and I got really into Star Trek because of him. Um, but yeah, so my dad was into that stuff anyway. So then when I started watching the show, I was like, eh, I don't know. And then Mikey got so into it. I'm like, I guess we're into this now. Yeah, I think it took you longer to come around to really being into it. Yeah. Do you guys have like a favorite season of the show? Ooh, yeah, that's tough. I mean, I really like going back to the earlier seasons. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't really like the latter, the later seasons. Like, once we get into the Ori, I'm kind of like, Ugh. Yeah, obviously that's lame. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I think it, uh, I like Atlantis better. Oh, okay. If we're if we're measuring all the seasons of Stargate, I think the best seasons are like Atlantis season two. Yeah, Atlantis season two is hot. Yeah. Um, yeah. But as far as uh, SG one, mm -hmm. um, season one's weird, <laughs> and then season two, three, four, and five are great. 
Yeah. And then after that, I don't know, you're a Jonas Quinn man. Well, I do like oh, Jonas Quinn. You like some Jonas yeah, Quinn. I do, what? yeah. That was going to be my next question, Jonas Quinn or Daniel Jackson. I don't know well, if I want to know the answer now. Oh, no, it's Daniel Jackson. It's Daniel oh, Jackson, <laughs> yeah. Okay, good. But they did a great job, I think, of spitting in Jonas Quinn. Like, they really made him earn it. So by the time he was on the team, you were like, yeah, okay, I accept this. My husband and I once played a drinking game where we drank every time they said, hallowed are the Orwat, hallowed are the Ori. Oh, boy. <laughs> You must Let me have been you, completely blitzed. By yeah. the end of the episode, it was hilarious. <laughs> by the end of it, you must have really believed that Hollowed were the Ori. <laughs> oh, yeah. What's your favorite season? I think season four, just because mm. there's like a lot of like individual episodes that I keep going back as I really like this one and this one, and like Beneath the Surface and Beast of Burden and stuff. I think, you know, right around there, season four is when they sort of really found their stride like with the characters and the types of stories they wanted to tell and stuff mm. so was yeah. window of opportunity in that season uh or was that three it was one of those two right it was one that, yeah it's one of those two i should probably know that considering that's what it's my namesake <laughs> <laughs> i mean that's obviously one of the best episodes of the it show is. it's a riot yeah it is sure. like we still say stuff to each other from that episode like, but that's just how i feel about it what yeah you think <laughs> In the middle of my backswing, George! <laughs> yes. So much, yes. <laughs> what about you, Rachel? I don't really have a favorite one myself because it's been so long since I have seen them that I'm really enjoying going back and rewatching because so many of them I'm like, oh yeah, that happened, and that guy, and that thing. And I'm sure I will reassess, but at this moment, I really don't know because it's okay. been so long. Uh, Window of Opportunity is Season 4, Episode 6. Ah, yes. All right. So before we get into the episode proper, we have some um, unfortunate news to share. I'm sure, although uh, you've seen it by now, but uh, last week on Tuesday, March 9th, Cliff Simon unfortunately passed away in a kiteboarding accident. It's touched, you know, everybody who knew him, who loved him. He was a wonderful person and a tremendous actor and ball would not have been anywhere near as amazing as he became without Cliff's touch on the character. The news hit, I know it hit me hard because I was lucky enough to like meet him and hang out with him a few times at conventions over the years. And um, he was just so fun and warm and funny and just down to earth. And he was just, he was good people. Pretty cool guy. He was a very cool guy. I mean, like everybody on Stargate is really, but um, yeah, he was really great. And yeah, that this one hurt a lot. When Would you like to tell the story of the one time that he came to dinner with like 40 people at Chili's? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so you probably, GateWorld.net, like the most official, unofficial website for any TV show franchise ever. At like all the conventions, usually people would sort of organize like, you know, dinners for fans who would like met up on like the the chat boards and stuff to sort of go out and like hang out in person and stuff. So one year in Chicago, uh, I decided to do that, and uh, there was a Chili's right down the road from the hotel where the convention was, and we could walk there, which was great. Um, and then there was a whole thing where like Chili's, you know, doesn't take reservations, but I had called like the week before and was like, hey, I want to bring like forty people on this day. Is that okay? And they're like, yeah, that's great. We'll like mark you down. Then we show up, and they have like no record of my calling them 
Nice. But luckily they were able to like clear out space because we were sort of early in the in like the dinner rush, so it was okay. But um, so we all go, we sit down, we like order food, and I had made like a quiz to like kill time between ordering and when food was coming and everything. And so we're going through the quiz, and I'm like, everybody's like writing down their answers as questions, and then I look up and it's like, ladies and gentlemen, Cliff Simon's here. Wow. Uh, wow. Which was fantastic because um, one of the girls I'd become friends with had sort of started working with him on like convention stuff. And she was there in Chicago and had invited him, but like didn't want to say anything just in case he wasn't able to make it. But luckily he was. And he showed up and like hung out and had dinner with us. And yeah, it was really great. That sounds pretty amazing. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Thinking he about sitting... Ball being in the Chili's just kind of makes me <laughs> makes yeah. me laugh a little bit. Yeah, it was, and that, like all the people around us, you know, when I was like, "Ladies and gentlemen, Cliff Simon," and that like the whole table like was like, "Whoa!" and everybody <laughs> over like, "What's happening?" And we're like, "Just ignore us. It's fine. It's a geeky thing. You won't understand." Well, it's pretty <laughs> funny. Like, thing why him, why like... are you all so enthralled? And he, and he, and he goes, "I am a god." <laughs> <laughs> oh. It was pretty funny seeing him, like, sitting at the foot of this table of, like, 40 people down the line. Yeah. He <laughs> was awesome. great. Yeah. I mean, easily the easily the best Gould. Yeah. Oh, like, yes. I mean, he wasn't, Ball wasn't even supposed to, like, be anything beyond, like, Summit and Last Stand. Yeah. Really. But then Cliff was just so awesome that they kept bringing him back. It's like he outlived all the other Goulds as a character. Like, once, we, like, they were oh, yeah. even... Like, I love when they go hunt for, uh, uh, like, King Arthur's the sword and shit. Yeah. And he, he's, all, he's like, part of the team with them. And yeah. it's like, he just outlived the Gould as a threat just by being so good at his job, it seems like. Yeah, he really did. He really, really did. And what is the magical item that you had autographed once upon a time? I, I did pull it out just in case this came up. Um, <laughs> so, um, back in 1992, Cliff Simon was crowned Mr. South Africa. Uh, like before he was an actor he was like a gymnast and a like a model and like a sport he like did gymnastics and all that stuff and um he he was in an an edition of playgirl magazine (laughs) (laughs) he is he is holding a towel very strategically so you don't like see anything um but when i found this out i was like i think i need this so I tracked down a copy online, ordered it, and then brought it to a convention for him to sign. And I like, I seriously will, this was like 10, 15 years ago, but I will never forget this. So the way the conventions work, you know, there's the actor and then they have their sort of like assistant helper minder person who like, you know, checks off the autograph ticket and like you usually give your item to that person who then sort of slides it down to the actor to just sort of help keep the line moving. And the girl who was Cliff's helper at that time, I, it, I'd been going to conventions for a few years. So I was starting to get to know like the people who worked in the volunteers and everything. And this girl was, she was like the sweetest, most innocent, like Southern belle. Like she was like married with a kid. So she, like, she knew all that stuff, but she was just like, you know, missed like pure and innocent and like, but was like lovely about like everything. So I like, you know, hand her my ticket and then I put the magazine down and she just goes, oh no, oh no, you can hand him this yourself. (laughs) So I placed the magazine in front of Cliff and he did not blink. His only reaction was, I was wondering when this was going to show up. Oh my God. Wow. 
So you were the first person that had seemingly had him sign that before. Apparently, yes. At a yes. convention? Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah, that's 20, a rare item. Yeah. Cliff was, he was an amazing guy. And he will be missed dearly by all who knew him. And even if you only knew him as Ball, he will be missed. Yeah. yeah. He leaves a lasting impression. He definitely does. Do you have a favorite ball episode? Um, the I mean, the, the one game. with all the balls. Oh, <laughs> balls in, coming down. <laughs> I actually, I watched that one last night. I was like, I think I need to watch some ball. So I was like, mm. let's watch the one that has 800 of them. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, he was very menacing as well. That episode where he's torturing uh, Jack. Oh, God, yeah. That shit's brutal. Oh, my God. Yeah. And he's like letting, it's cool, I, you know, that whole effect where Jack's up against the gravity wall, room. And yeah, and he's letting go of the daggers, and they're just going right in him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's been a while since I've seen this. Season six of this, with, with Daniel Jackson's white sweater of awesomeness. Yeah. Oh. It's what, no, the white sweater of ascension. Sorry, that's what yeah. we called it. The white sweater <laughs> of ascension. Oh, yeah, yes. Anything else on Cliff? I think Mikey already alluded to it, but um, the best, my favorite ball moment is when... Uh, Sam's trying to fix that big machine, right? And Ball's down there helping him, her, her and he, and he, she's like, oh, how did you know how to do that? And he goes, I am a god. <laughs> it, just, <laughs> it just always struck me as so funny because she knows he's not a god. He yeah. knows she knows he's not a god. Yet he's still saying it. Everyone knows at that point because there's like yeah. a Jaffa rebellion in yeah. the full swing. No one thinks yeah. he's a god. But he's still committed. That was a good one. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so let's move on to the episode itself, The First Commandment. Uh, This aired August 22nd, 1997, written by Robert C. Cooper and directed by Dennis Barry. The short summary, uh, SG-1 must stop a renegade Stargate commander who has gone mad and set himself up as a god on an alien planet. Yep. Yep. That's what happens. happens. (laughs) Um, I wish it said Corey's dad instead of Commander Gone Mad. (laughs) I can't see him any other way. It's so weird. So weird. And this was like, this was before Boy Meets World. So he did this first. Yeah. I think it was like the just a year or two before Boy Meets World. But yeah, he did this and then became Corey's dad. Wow. I didn't know that. And he was in American History X as a Nazi too, though. What? Seriously? Yeah, yeah, he plays a Nazi in that, like a Nazi dad. Oh. <laughs> so he's everybody's dad, just, you know, yeah. really, really off in that <laughs> So he does, apparently he does, because he does, like, evil and menacing, like, really well in this. I got to, like, know. give props to him, I think. <laughs> I found it to be very arch. Well. He's going for it. I mean, he, I mean, I think he's committed, and he's going for it. And... Oh, he is, Yeah. <laughs> I think I just hated him, maybe. That's, like, I think he was such an effective bad guy in this episode that he, I'm like, you, you fucking leave Sam Carter alone. Yeah. <laughs> this is true. This is very true. Okay, so this episode opens and, like, it's dark. We're in the woods. There's, like, people running and they're being chased. And it's very dramatic. And it becomes clear, sort of, the two guys that are being chased are from, like, the SGC because one of them drops the GDO. And then he gets hit by a blow dart from somebody yeah. which is like oh that's not a good thing uh the other guy keeps running he makes it to the gate and starts dialing the guy who got hit by the blow dart like falls to the ground incapacitated because the blow dart is never a good thing the guy who had made it made it to the gate runs back to try to save him but the guy on the ground is like just go like save yourself so he runs off 
And then weird, the weird people come out of the woods and they're in the... The weird people. <laughs> well, they've got these, like, weird beehive helmets and, like, They do. They look like the juggernaut. Yes. Yeah, they do. They really do. And then, so we've got those people, but then also two other who appear to just be Earth humans, like the two people who are running away, come out. And the, the guy who got shot by the blow dart is then shot with a gun and his body is burned. (gasps) So this is a very dramatic opening for this series. Like (laughs) there's some serious shit happening right now because I don't think that happened so far. It really is. I mean, this is like action movie taken diehard level (laughs) stuff that's going on right now. It's crazy. Yeah. It's very dark, both visually and in tone. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Like, have we this seen is... how many people in the SGC have been murdered so far on this show? Well, this guy, and I mean, a couple people in the pilot by yeah. Apophis. I don't think Kowalski made it. Did he? Is Kowalski? Did he get rid of that ghoul on his head that time? <laughs> no. Yes, I guess technically he was murdered. Well, it's a dangerous job, is it's what a... I'm saying. It is a dangerous yeah. job. <laughs> Apparently, it is. Yes. <laughs> These uh, blow, the blow darts—they just knock you out. Is that? We were we were talking amongst ourselves about like what do the darts do? Are they yeah. they're not killer darts because you shot them in the head? Yeah. Yeah, I don't think yeah I don't think they're killer darts. They're probably you know paralytic, unconscious, mm. making. Type we'll deal of with you later, thing. darts. Yeah, we'll 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 hit you with the blow dart. We'll take you somewhere and deal with you later, kind of thing. <laughs> I, think. I have to say that the helmets that the guys were wearing um, actually just reminded me of one of the Rick Moranis helmets in Spaceballs. Yes, mm. yes, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so here's something interesting. So one of the things we don't get in this episode that we usually do get is the sort of breakdown of the culture of the the people of the planet that we're going to, that we're on in the episode. Like, that doesn't happen in this episode. Do any of you have any ideas where the sort of helmety clay helmet mud people are from? I don't have any knowledge about the clay helmet mud people origin. I have no idea. Nor I. Okay, so common belief is that these are actually the Asaro mudmen from Papua New Guinea. Oh. So there's a few sort of legends of their creation. So the Asaro are also known as the Holosa, which translates literally as ghost. And they're mostly in Papua New Guinea's eastern highlands. They are very scary. The the people the in on the TV show the, the yeah. they really move like ghosts amongst the woods. Mm. Yeah. So the sort of the main legend surrounding the Asar people are about two centuries ago the Asar were shot, shy retiring jungle dwellers and one day <laughs> they were attacked by a much more powerful tribe and fled into the nearby Asar River. When their assailants reached the river, they came upon their figures, the people who had fled, the Asaro, who had sort of covered themselves in the mud from the river and made them sort of white and gray. And so believing that they had encountered the ghosts, uh, the ghost spirits of the people that they had killed, the aggressors fled in panic. So realizing what had happened, the Asaro decided to retaliate. So... They fully coated their bodies in mud, but not their faces, as they believed the water of the Asara River to be poisonous. Uh, Instead, they used rock sticks and whatever they could find to create masks. So when they appeared in this form, their former enemies fled, and the peace-loving Asaro people inherited the reputation of fierce warriors. 
Wow. So, so that's the origin of this tribe? Well, that's the legend. Okay. Uh, of the Hidden Temple. Yeah. <laughs> and then some damn ghoul swiped him up and yes. brought him to this planet. Yes. So the thing is, this is still happening today. Like, these people still exist. They still cover themselves in mud and make these elaborate clay mud masks in Papua New Guinea. I bet their and skin is amazing. <laughs> probably. So I, I found this blog of this guy who went and actually met with these people. And he talked with one of the Asaro people. And he, the guy said that uh, the Asaro have a chairman rather than a chief. And that <laughs> in the late 19th century, the distant grandfather of the current chairman had relocated from one area in the highlands to another. And this is where he first learned the practice of bakeme, which is using a disguise to take revenge on an enemy. And he said the people Batman. there would... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. So he said the people there would cover their faces with a white sap from, the lo- from a local tree as a disguise. When that grandfather returned home, he refined the bakeme by introducing what he called a giratuai, which is a light wooden frame with a bag covering it with an eye, hole, eye holes cut out. And so the finished piece, which would engulf the entire head, was then smeared with mud. So the masks were sort of scarier than just covering your face with tree sap. And so that caught on and then spread to various other tribes in the highlands. Hmm. So, it, so it's those big helmets that ends up being the clue as to where these people were taken from on yes. the show. Yes. Also, if you had, if you're like, what do you guys know about uh, this tribe? What if one of us just said everything you just said? <laughs> That'd be crazy. I would be like, that's fantastic. Tell me everything you know. <laughs> um, but then, so here's an interesting thing. Raids by these peoples to capture pigs and women were common until the mid 20th century. In an effort to curb the cultural violence, in 1957, local like government organizers put on what was called the first Eastern Highlands Agricultural Show, and they invited the Asaro to participate. The tribal chairman at the time, Ruipo Okoroho, saw an opportunity to put the mudmen on the tourist map. So organizing all of the local headmen, he had them wear for the first time the prototypes of what we see of today's masks of in the Papua New Guinea tribes sort of large sur- uh, very surreal sort of devil looking and very heavy the story it's goes that showbiz now yeah <laughs> they they do yeah basically That's crazy yeah the chairman's so this- like All right, listen guys i'm getting the tribe out of violence <laughs> we're gonna go to this agricultural fair we need to stop stealing pigs and women yeah, yeah. i mean we really we need to think bigger pigs and women we work yeah. for tips now yeah Learn to dance. (laughs) So the story goes that the first day of the Sing Sing, as the show is popularly known, over 200 masked mud men stalked slowly onto the ground, driving a screaming and terrified audience before them. No (laughs) one had seen anything like them, especially not in such numbers. The mud men took first prize for tribal representation that year and the following two years, prompting an end to all such competitions in the future. Today, the annual Sing Sing is a world-renowned festival lasting three days, and the Mud Men are still its rock stars. <laughs> Thank you, everyone! That's even the pigs. Yeah. Yeah. So, They're like, this pig is good, but, like, could we also have a couple women? They're like, no, man. It's not the kind of show. Why didn't Daniel tell us all this? Right? I don't know. Well, there, there's an interesting thing in this episode where, like, SG-1 isn't, like, the main focus of this episode. They're kind of the supporting cast, in a yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. It's like which... the end of an episode of Stargate SG-9. Yes, yes. Yeah. 
It's yeah, it really is, which I think it's interesting for being sort of so early in a series. It's this is only episode five. And yet we're already sort of pushing SG one into the background, which I think is interesting, because it does expand the world of the SGC in that while yes, most of our adventures will be following SG one, there's still all these other side stories happening. And all this other stuff going on beyond just our sort of four main cast members. Mm. Yeah, they want you to know that it's not just SG-1 that's hitting all sorts of drama and potentially bringing back diseases. It's really not. It's the whole kit and caboodle. It really is. So, well, speaking of SG-1, so SG-1 comes through the gate and we're uh, assuming we're back on the planet where whatever happened in the opening credits is where we are now. So Daniel comments that the planet has a very high UV radiation, but very flourishing plant life. Vancouver. Yeah, totally. And then here's something interesting. So Carter notes that Abydos seems to be the exception and not the rule as far as like the general environment of the planet that they visited, which I think is sort of a nice nod to the audience sort of acknowledging that sure Abydos is a desert, but we're filming in Vancouver, so everything's going to be a forest from now on. For sure. And Tilk adds that it's really not a coincidence and that the ghoul terraformed many planets centuries ago. So this planet may have... Yeah. Well, or Abydos was fine and they didn't need to do anything with it. Because terraforming probably has more to do with, like, the atmosphere, really, than, you know, vegetation and stuff. Like, we don't ever... I don't think we ever hear that said again about the ghouls terraforming planets. Because that seems like a big deal. Well, they probably just planted trees. Well, no, they would have had to change the atmosphere to be able to plant the trees. Yeah. Or to make well, the, the ground fertile. I'm sure uh, I'm sure Teal knows. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but it's weird. It's a real throwaway line, but that's a huge deal that the ghouls were yeah. roaming around terraforming planets. So, yeah, like centuries yeah. ago. Yeah. So, yeah, because terraforming is not an easy thing, like at all. But the gate was already on the planet, or they brought the gates here? Well, I think it's a combination. Yeah. Some planets they put gates on, and some planets already had gates. None of this seems oh. to be hammered down in fact. No. There's a lot of things they just sort of, like, let linger and let the audience fill in the blanks. (laughs) Well, you think, like, if, like, by season, what, like, seven or eight, like, Earth is bringing gates to other Yeah, we're carrying gates around. Like, the gold must have done it, too. Yeah. Yeah. There is a game that we like to play called Fill in the Plot Hole, where we just make up what we think sounds like a good idea. Mm, (laughs) Yes. Yeah. That's how I watch everything. (laughs) (laughs) In my brain, this makes sense. It is yeah. no fact. Do we need to fill in the plot hole here? They forgot um, birds. <laughs> yes, that's the other comment. That, yeah, yeah. that Carter makes the comment that there's no birds. Why would why'd she say that? That is not that is not strange, Carter. Tio was like, ghouls hate birds. Tio was like, I don't even know what birds are. <laughs> They're like, one of your ghouls is a bird king. It's a bird god. <laughs> oh, that's what that is. Now I get that Joppa joke. Yeah. I mean, I guess I guess it is a little strange with there being a very flourishing forest, but there seems to be no animal life. They never even really explain that, do they? They just explain yeah. the UV and the sun situation and why everybody gets all sunburned. Yeah. They don't really explain the lack of life forms. Yeah, like what do they eat? Each mm. other. Oh, yeah. <laughs> are there, are I think th- you might be right. Yeah. <laughs> Or are they like, you know, a vegetarian? They only find like 10 people. Or are they like an entirely vegan population that just eats plants and grains and things? I didn't even see any grains. I think they eat yeah. rocks. I think they eat rocks and leaves. Yeah, what do they eat? Gather around the table for rock leaf soup, my brothers. They eat their masks. Yeah. Mud. Bath. Delicious mud soup, yes. We, we did it. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Fantastic. 
Okay, so we cut to, like, Daniel walking through the woods, and it seems like somehow SG-1 has become, like, completely separated from each other yeah. somehow. Why yeah, which, like, like, Daniel wander off on his own. Daniel's like, <laughs> I'm running full speed away from you guys! Yeah, and he's, he's, like, he's trying to find, like, a path or road of some sort when someone, like, leaps up from underneath, leaves that this person had buried themselves under, and grabs Daniel in a chokehold with, like, a gun to his head. And so this is the guy whose name is Connor from the opening scene, and it turns out he didn't actually go back through the gate. He just dialed the gate and then ran off into the woods to make it seem yeah, it totally like he... fooled me when I was watching. I'm like, what? Is it because he didn't have me his too. signal device? No, he had the GDO because yeah. Frank was like, here, take this. Uh. He tricked them good. <laughs> <laughs> Did they name that character Frakes because of Jonathan Frakes? I don't know. I like to think so. I like to think so, too. Yeah. Me, Let's say uh, yes. me as well. <laughs> okay. so we... That was the first thing I thought. No, I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But majority says yes, this character is named after Jonathan Freaks. <laughs> so then Jack appears out of nowhere uh, and basically grabs Connor like Connor has grabbed Daniel. And Connor's like, Colonel O'Neill? Oh, and like sort of faints for some reason. So we sort of like take him back to the gate and like where the map is and everything. And Jack explains then to him and to us, the audience, that the signal from the GDO that he sent came through six hours ago, but then nobody followed behind. Connor then sits up suddenly and remembers what happens to Frakes. And we they sort of walk a ways down the little path in front of the gate. And we find a pile of ash and some dog tags. Uh-oh. <laughs> burn them all. Dog tags don't burn. No, no. their bones do. <laughs> but yeah. they shouldn't because the fire that... It couldn't have gotten hot enough, so he should have been like mm-hmm. he should have been like a skeleton in some dog tags. Yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah, I was just doing for one of our other podcasts. I ended up looking up if lava could melt bones. Yeah, and it was like not always. I was like, well, then you need real hot shit to burn bones. Yeah, unrealistic target. We expect realism in our alien sci-fi. Yeah, shows. <laughs> <laughs> you guys think Sam's weird in this episode? A little bit. I think it takes a while for her to get into her Sam groove. She seems quite different in almost every episode. Yeah. Two two Sam-specific episodes in the first five episodes of the show. Because they're really trying to find the character, I think. Yeah. I mean, there's also stories of, like, Amanda Tapping, like, really pushing back with, like, the writers and the producers of, like, this is not how women act and talk. Like, even in military situations. Like, Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I do think it takes a while for them to find the Sam group. But when they do, I'm like, I'm all in. And I love Sam. And she's yeah. great. Because it's probably just Amanda tapping, being like, all right, it's just going to be me. It's, it's going to be me on camera if I was in the military. Yeah. Right. Yeah. She, yeah. And also, like, I'm not, she's not, like, we're all soldiers here. Yeah. Yeah. You don't need to put me in love stories and, like, uh, being abducted by tribes and things of that nature. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, when they, when they are like, oh, yeah, she was engaged to this guy. I'm like, what? Why? Why? Yeah, that was definitely one of the weirder things that comes out. Um, and it was before they both worked in the SGC, so they both like dated and yeah. worked in like different areas of the government, and then both got recruited by the SGC. Yeah. After they yeah. broke up. Yeah. Like, how weird. likely is that really to happen? And this guy's crazy because he walked He's... out of the Stargate, and they're like, "You're a god," and he was like, "Yep." Don't mind right. if I do. <laughs> So Connor, so speaking of that, so Connor starts explaining like what's been going on with Captain Hansen. So they've been on this planet for a few weeks, which is this is the first time there's been any sort of hint of 
extended research research or exploration of other planets. Like, up until, up until now, it's been sort of go, explore, come back, done in, like, you know, two, three days. But they've been here, like, a month or so, yeah, it seems months, like, at I this point. And, um, you know, as we've seen in other episodes and with other cultures, the people here believe Hansen to be a god because they came through the gates, and that usually that's fine, but the only problem is that Hansen is now believes it, too. He was like, let's see how this plays out, guys. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Jack tells Sam that he wants her to take Connor back through the gate to tell Hammond what's going on. And she refuses, saying that if they're going after Hanson, that she should go too because she can get to him. And then this is where we learn that Sam and Hanson used to be engaged. And Connor tries to tell them that they can't go after Hanson because the people of this planet, since they believe he's their god, not only will they die for him, but they'll also kill for him. Jack tells Connor that it's not his concern and that he needs to go back to the SGC to report to Hammond about what's going on. And Connor also refuses to follow O'Neill's <laughs> orders because he knows the people in the land and that SG-1 will need his help. And Jack goes, does it say Colonel anywhere on my uniform? Excellent because- <laughs> Wonderful. Jack Excellent. is where Jack ends up. Like, this is his character. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because this is, like, there's a captain, and who knows what Connor is. Captain, lieutenant, who knows. But, like, Jack is definitely above them, and these two people are just like, no, not going to do it. It's like, <laughs> I'm your superior officer. Don't you have to do what I tell you? But also, you know, Sam and Connor make very good points for refusing to follow jack's orders like i get it but also yeah does it say colonel anywhere on his uniform apparently not in this episode <laughs> also uh when when carter's like uh yeah no i'm staying and then jack's like you know we're either bringing him back or not bringing him back if you know what i mean so she's, <laughs> uh-huh. like, she's like you know we're gonna murder him right yeah 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 and she's like yeah i know it's fine. Like, yeah that dude's cuckoo beans so we might have to <laughs> yeah. do that so Connor tells SG-1 that if we're going to go after Hanson, that we need to go now and travel during the day. Uh, that because of, you know, the UV radiation that the people lived in caves and really only come out at night. And that he just hopes we, po- we packed lots of sunblock. Chuckle. Yeah. Okay, so here, here's my question. So there's obviously a very serious situation happening on this planet that would probably benefit from backup. Jack has now ordered two people to go back to the SGC to get the backup. They've both said no. Why don't they just dial the SGC and tell them over the radio what's going on and say, hey, please send back up? It's a good point. Absolutely. Send, send Tilk running full speed back to the thing. He'll be back here in no time. Yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah. Send Tilk and then have him come back. There's I mean, isn't there like a check-in after a couple hours or something, too? Like, yeah. There's, yeah well, there's, report back. There is at some point in the show. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. I'm in, I mean, in the early episodes, there's, you know, report back in 24 hours or things get locked out and... That seems to get, you know, loosened as the show goes on. Yeah. So who knows what that is in this episode where we are on that whole report back in X amount of time or we're locking things out. But it seems like they should have other options than just one of you to go back or we're not doing anything. He's like, never mind. We won't get back up. We'll handle it ourselves. We're (laughs) we're SG1 and Connor. We can do this. It's like, you guys are right. You know the lay of the land. You know the guy. We don't need backup. So we then cut to another member of SG9. This is Baker. He's the one who burned Frakes' body. He's Baker. 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 Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> didn't even, like, make that connection. Yeah, Baker burned him. Um, so he enters a cave and tells Hanson that SG1 is coming. Hanson then pulls off his dog tags and, like, tosses them aside, <laughs> which seems to be like, okay, this dude is, like, seriously all in. He's 
he's not going back to the SGC. It's not. He's wearing his godly robe now. Yeah. yeah. What a loser, yeah. though. He's been sitting here on this planet for weeks going, ooh, when I hear that SG-1 come through the gate, I'm going to tear these dog tags off. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> also, why are dog tags so easy to pull off? I have always wondered that myself. Right? In everything. All the time, he's like, my buddy's dead. You just pluck him right off their neck. You ever try to pull a metal necklace off of your <laughs> neck? <laughs> well, I guess it's the situation so you're not spending five minutes trying to get dog tags off a fallen soldier and then you get killed yourself. <laughs> I can't get the ball out of this yeah, class. Get the ball. Get the ball. Like, of all the planets that you would decide to, like, be the god of, why is it, like, ten people living in the woods where you're like, this is the one I like. I'm rolling with this one. Yeah, it's a <sighs> shitty planet to be the god of. Yeah. 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 And you go outside in the daytime. Uh, yeah. I know. Also, what is on his face? Is it the sap or is it burn? Or I ketchup? think it's supposed to be, like, sunburn. Yeah, oh, okay. I think so it's, it's supposed to be burn. I thought no. it was ceremonial in some way. <laughs> no. No, it's yeah. going to be the burns from when he went on the trek to save the kid. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. Right. So we then cut back to SG-1, who's sitting around a campfire, because apparently it's going to take some time to get to wherever Hansen is. And Daniel comments that the MRE he's eating tastes like chicken, and Sam's like, well, what's wrong with that? And Daniel goes, well, it's mac and cheese. <laughs> so apparently <laughs> MREs are gross. That seems to be a pretty consistent theme in the world. Uh, everyone seems to agree they're gross. Yeah. So Jack and Tilk have been setting up like an alarmed perimeter around their camp, which is good to alert them to any intruders. And Connor confirms that there really doesn't seem to be any animal life and it's just plants. And Daniel then asks how something like this situation, like Hansen believing he's a god, could happen given like the rigorous screening process that SG team members must go through. And Connor replies that when they first came here, instead of denying that he and like the team were gods that they should like play along for a little while to just see what happens. And Frakes, who was their anthropologist agreed and Connor continues. But the longer we stayed here, the stronger they believed on our fourth or fifth week here, a young child wandered out of the caves and must've gotten lost. Hansen went on, went out after him and he was gone for two full days before he came back carrying the child barely alive in his arms. So this is when then Hansen seemed to start taking things a little too far. This, this is a question that I have. So they all came yeah. through the plant. They all came through the gate and they were like, oh, these guys are gods. And they were like, okay, like mm -hmm. why? It doesn't seem like the other guys are gods, just Hansen. Is it because he saved the kid? And they're like, all right, he's, oh, he's, yeah. the, he's the best yeah. god of these four gods. <laughs> I think so. I think that's what happened. Because, yeah, that, is, that does seem to be something like, Anytime somebody comes through the gate, the indigenous people are like, oh, bow down, you're gods and stuff. So then when Hanson went out and I guess like survived during the day for like two full days, then it's like, oh, okay, he is like the god of gods, I guess. Perhaps. <laughs> he, also, he was the leader anyway. Yeah. Yeah. He was the leader of SG9 anyway. So, you he know, the, the other members. Yeah. So the other members of like SG9 would have been deferring to Hanson anyway. Well, so, so do you think, like, when he decided, yes, I am your god, the other guys were just like, okay? It's weird that the one guy was like, yeah, I'm with you, man. Baker? Baker's like, hell yeah, I always thought you were a god. <laughs> yeah. And then being the third guy in the team, you're like, oh, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it could have been Baker was just playing along so he didn't get killed. Yeah, yeah. I think that is what, you yeah. know, like, like, this he, dude is crazy. This dude's crazy, let's just play along so we can, like, get through the situation. Is it supposed to be that, like, the sunstroke probably did it, too, have made him kind of go a little bonkers? Yeah. 
yeah, there seems to be reference to that because I mean, in addition to like the UV stuff, it's probably also very hot because of the UV stuff. And but he's also a weird guy too, so it's like compounding, like the yeah. sunstroke plus the let's just go with it plus the thing Sam says about him being into power and him yeah. being charming. Yeah, yeah. It all is kind of a fucking. It's a maelstrom. Yeah, perfect <laughs> yeah. storm and when you put that of that cloak on. Yeah. Yeah. Then you put the robe on. And there you go. Yeah, the rope will do it. (laughs) But anyway, so some of the indigenous people, though, started to believe that Hansen wasn't a god and was just a man. So he had them tied to stakes and left out in the direct sunlight for seven days. If they lived, they were allowed back, like, into the caves and into the population. And while they may have survived for seven days, by then they were blind with giant sores all over them. And it just took them a little longer to die. Well, that's how that's, you deal with uh, non-believers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so Hansen then comes out of his caves and looks over this valley where people are like cutting rocks out of the valley side and moving them somewhere. Something's going on. He's building something. A condo. <laughs> Possibly. I mean, who wants to live in a cave forever? Yeah. Um, this guy finds it completely insulting that these people live in caves. He's like, this is unacceptable. I gotta help yeah. him. Yeah. So, Connor wakes up back at the SG-1 camp and takes over watch from Jack, but they see something in the woods and go to wake up the rest of SG-1, and we're under attack by the indigenous people. And we seem to scare them off, except Connor, though, has gone missing and has presumably been taken by these people. And we cut back to Hansen, who comments that the temple is taking too long to build. So apparently that's what's being built. He's having the people build him a temple. Not a condo. Okay. No, not a condo. It's a temple because he's a god. So gods need temples, right? I guess so, yeah. So he tells Baker to split the people into shifts so that they can work, work both day and night. And Baker tries to object by saying they work during the day, they will die. And Hansen just shrugs it off as sacrifice. Again, a whole 15 people that he's the god of. <laughs> it's true. At one point, Connor's like, there might be thousands. I assure you, they're, they're there, but you won't see them. Yeah. 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 So we cut back to uh, Sam and Daniel like walking through the woods, and they're talking about Hanson. For some reason, Daniel's not wearing his glasses, and this always, this always bugs me. Always, always, always. Whenever characters wear glasses, but the actors don't. And then the actor just decides to, like, take their glasses off for some reason. It's like, glasses serve a purpose. Like, I wear glasses. You can't just, like, take your glasses off and still walk around like things are normal. Because they're not. You're now blind. Wear your glasses, Daniel. I mean, did they ever say what his prescription is? I mean, I guess not. But the fact that that he wears them all the time. Like, if they were just reading glasses, he wouldn't have to wear them all the time. Yeah. Well, maybe he He comes through the gate with them on. Maybe they were dirty. And he couldn't have a didn't have a wipe with. Him. Oh, that's I hate that. <laughs> yeah, one cannot have time. dirty glasses. No, yeah. I mean dirty glasses are horrible. But <laughs> like Sam and Daniel have this the conversation about Hanson and like what Sam saw in him. That's where she's you know starts about how like how charming he was, but how he always seemed to want to be sort of in control and in power. And so we we start to get the feeling that you know there was something in Hanson from way before this situation is, and. Uh, Tilk's in the lead, he stops us, and we're, like, sort of on the edge of a small cliff that's overlooking the valley where the temple is being built, and we see Connor tied to a pole out in the open along with uh, a couple of the other indigenous peoples, and Jack heads off somewhere saying to give him 30 minutes. Okay, question. 
where is he going? Like, he says he's not going to rescue Connor, at least not yet. So, like, where where is he going? What is he doing? What does he need 30 minutes for? He's the lay of the land. I mean, he's doing, I mean, I don't know why he needs 30 minutes, because he doesn't run that far, it seems. But he does reconnaissance. Okay, so he's just trying to get more of an idea of, like, what's around, like, on the yeah. other sides of the valley. He's going to not go call for backup. Yeah. <laughs> oh, right, he should have. That, yeah. that could have yeah. been when he did that. But, we had to get rid of Jack so that Sam could run away. Yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. So Daniel mentions that the situation reminds him of Abraham, which is, uh, you know, God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son as Hanson seems to be sacrificing his people, which I don't know if I agree with Daniel. I don't really think about that this. is equal. No. That's not the same thing. No, because the Abraham sacrifice of his son was for a very specific purpose this is just Hanson being a dick like you know yeah. what this is like this is like the ghouls it is yeah. i can't believe teal doesn't Ooh. say false god once in this i'm surprised he doesn't just yell false god <laughs> and run down the hill <laughs> yeah this is this is not abraham i don't know why daniel this brought is, that up here that's the second time too that he tried to bring in like biblical uh, like earlier, they said he put seven guys out, and he's like, "Ah, seven recurs in the Bible many times." Yeah, I'm like shut yeah. up, Daniel. shut up, Daniel. About. <laughs> shut your beautiful little ass up. <laughs> yeah. So Sam's looking sort of through the binoculars over the valley, and she sees one of the men who's harvesting the rock. Who he's just like fallen over. And Baker goes up and starts beating him of, you know, and that, you know, that standard way of a slave falls down and the master goes and beats him and stand up, stand up. It's like he's fallen down. He's obviously hurt and injured. Do you think beating him is going to get him to stand up? Obviously, like, yes. <sighs> I'm just like, no, obviously not. So, what, am I going to be nice to him? <laughs> hey, wait, who is that that's beating the guy? That's Baker. So he's a true believer. Yeah. I, I think that he was just playing along like we were saying before, but yeah. then I think with the sunstroke, he went crazy. I think he's drinking the Kool-Aid. Yeah. A little bit. Well, why didn't he decide that he's a god? That, I think, is a good question. Because he, he has prior mental problems where he doesn't really believe in himself. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't dating. have the same ego that Hanson does. <laughs> so anyway, Sam runs down into Valley to try and stop it. And basically her whole purpose here is to just be captured by Hanson. That's basically why she's doing this. And we see Jack somewhere else in the canyon overlooking the valley trying to spot Connor. Then we cut back to Tilk who's looking through the binoculars and we see Sam knocking Baker down. And then Jack comes back and we see Sam being taken. So this is somehow their plan, even though nobody talked about it. They both seem like when Carter's reason for running down there was she's like, this is what Jack wanted me to do. And then Jack gets yeah. back and they're like, she ran away. And he's like, yeah, that's probably the only way we're getting in there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so kind of worked out. Yeah, it was a little loosey goosey though, and no yeah. one told Daniel and Teal what the plan was. <laughs> yeah, it seems like Sam and Jack were both thinking along the same lines, but never actually voiced their expectation was. They were like, "It's going- in the script. It's fine." Yeah, <laughs> we all know where it's going from here. I like that uh, Daniel's like, "Oh man, we should have tried to stop her," and then Teal says, "We would have failed." Yes, uh, that was cool. Teal's like, "Nah, bro, we ain't." <laughs> we yeah. could try our best. We ain't stopping no Sam Carter. No, nobody stops Sam Carter. No, no one can stop him Sam Carter. <laughs> Except for this Corey's dad. Oh, Corey's dad, yeah. <laughs> Makes her cry and she can't shoot him, yeah. So Sam gets brought before Hanson and he explains what's going on here on this planet. And apparently the caves that the people live in used to be mines, but they're only so big and the population is getting too large to sort of 
stay in the existing space that they have and they don't have the technology to dig bigger caves or the courage to go out into the sun and Hansen believes that he's saving them and Carter's like really you think that and he goes I know I am these people they're human beings they're like us how can we turn our backs on them kidnapped from earth forced into slavery for centuries Carter goes we can't change that Hansen says yes we can we must help which like he's not totally wrong here yeah but, but he's enslaving them yeah, yeah i mean he's just you know taking he's basically just replacing the ghoul he's you know from one master to another like yeah. the intention behind what he's doing makes sense but the method is completely wrong yeah you know, yeah what this he guy believes what is- he's doing he needs yeah. to establish a voting system and get an electoral <laughs> college, and that's what they need to do. Get some universal health care going on this planet? How, yes. How about, how about we build the temple, you know, in shifts of, like, seven to eight hours with a few breaks in between, <laughs> one day on, one day off, only, you know, in, in the in the early evening when the sun's not out. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, it could take a little longer, but it'll get done. If you guys want to start a union, well, that's okay. Looks like you put Jeremy out on one of those sticks now. (laughs) Pretty hot out here, guys. That's the point, dummy. So we cut back to Jack, Daniel, and Tilk. And Jack basically wants to try and get one of those people down in the valley alone and, like, talk to them and try and figure out, like, what's really going on. Like, from their side, like, what's happening? What's going on? And Daniel sees one guy sort of start to wander off. And they follow him to a river. And Daniel, like... We see the guy and he's sort of like washing his hand and splashing his face in the water. And Daniel sort of crouches next to him and like waves like, hey, hi, how are you? And this guy's like, this isn't good. So he tries to stand up and then Jack's right in front of him and like, hey, hi. And then turns around and Tilk is right there. And we, we have this guy surrounded, but like, don't worry, we're the good guys. It's all fine. I don't know. That whole scene just amused me of like, hey, hi, surprise. <laughs> I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I think that's just such a funny thing for Daniel to do. Where he's like, I'm just going to go down there and be like, be with him. I'm pretty honest. Like, hey, what's up, man? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wash yeah. a little bit of the hands. Yeah. Yeah. Was <laughs> here with me not wearing like, his glasses. Uh, yes, definitely. <laughs> and this guy's like, hey, can you guys fuck off? This is my 15-minute break, and I'm going to get back soon. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, I'm going to get tied to a pole. Yeah, I'll be out there with Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we cut back to Hanson and Sam, who are now alone in a cave, even though they're surrounded by people before. And Hanson is showing Carter some, like, cave drawings, and there's, like, animals and people, and they're dancing under this, like, giant orange bubble and in the middle of the drawing there's this sort of table or altar type thing mm-hmm. and he Hansen wishes he could decipher the cave drawings which they seem pretty straightforward but maybe not I don't know no I I thought that too um, I, like he, the way he looks at it he's like if only I could decipher these simple crude drawings <laughs> like well that's the animal those are people, and that's the orange sky. There is, there are animals. What's up with that? I think they all yeah. died when the thing went away. Oh, you're right. Yeah, that. I mean, that would make sense if yeah. you know the bubble was protecting them, and then the animals couldn't survive. Ah, there it is. Why didn't they take animals into the caves with them? Very stupid. These people are very stupid. Apparently, <laughs> they're um, almost as dumb as this guy who can't read this cave drawing. Yeah. <laughs> Although when when Carter goes in there, he's not completely alone because he's like Carter. Check out all my new girlfriends. I don't know if you noticed. <laughs> this is my yeah. harem. I can be Carter, Carter, yeah. harem. <laughs> Classic um, God move. <laughs> very much. Um, 
But so Sam grabs, I don't know if it's her gun or just a gun that's sort of been discarded off to the side and like, sure it it he says it's still loading. The okay. Okay. So, and he like sort of goes her on with this speech of like, come on, just do it. You know, you want to do it, but she doesn't. I mean, like she could have shot him in the leg or something. What I'm saying. Like, <laughs> and they're. You shoot this guy in the thigh. You drag him out of the cave. Teal can Jack come down from the hills. And we're yeah. just go. Or, I mean, I get if she was sort of worried about the whole the whole thing that Connor said of, like, these people wouldn't just die for him, that they would kill for him. Would that just lead to her being attacked? But, like, her face seems more, like, afraid of him rather mm-hmm. than just sort of, like, resigned to this situation sucks, but shit, I just, I can't kill him. Right. Ugh, this is horrible. Like, she, like, what she would actually season seems five afraid. Sam have done? I think season five, Sam would have done the same thing, but we would have seen different emotions in her, in, yeah. like in her face. In the she situation. wouldn't have almost started crying. It would have been logical. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm gonna because, go with that. She just didn't want to fill out the paperwork involved in firing your weapon when she got back. She's like, I just don't want to deal with this now. I mean, there's probably a lot of paperwork involved in that. Yeah, yeah. Then she'd have to explain yeah, what happened. Mission reports and shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Who wants it's to deal not with worth it? it. Until yeah. Jack bullies Daniel into writing his mission report. No, Jack's not writing yeah. his mission report. <laughs> like, Daniel, change the words in here so it doesn't sound like you wrote it. Or I'll be back. So it doesn't sound like nerd crap. Totally what happened. So SG-1 have the the guy from the stream, Jamala, and they're talking to him. And Daniel explains that SG-1, they're just men just like him and that they're here to help. And Jamala recognizes Tilk as a Jaffa which is interesting, but he only recognizes him as a Jaffa from stories. Like, he's never actually seen a Jaffa in person. There's sort of a weird disconnect between, okay, so when was the last time, like, the Gould with their Jaffa were here? Apparently not so long ago that the sort of description of the Jaffa has been, like, watered down, that Tilk is not recognizable as a Jaffa. Do you think it's a cave drawing? Oh, maybe. I mean, maybe. That's what I was thinking. Mm. Yeah, that's possible. The Mm. whole just sort of person with the gold symbol in his forehead thing it's fairly recognizable so jack tries to explain that you know tilk is good he's just he's from another planet as are he and daniel just like jonas is and that jonas is not a god he's just a man and he's actually harming jamala's people and jamala's like no he's going to do good he's going to save us by turning the sky orange when the sky is orange it is good and there is no more sickness and daniel's like what? And so it's like, I think I know what he's talking about. So there's some sort of ghoul technology, apparently, if Tilk knows what Jamala might be talking about. There's something ghoul related on this planet. Do you think this conversation would have gone better if they had showed up and they were like, yes, we are also gods and we've come to confiscate the one that has, you know, taken over your camp. Jonas yeah, like, is a don't, do, don't, don't do that. Well, yeah, they're like, we're cooler gods. Here's some protein bars. <laughs> some water? Can we get some water here? And SG teams keep coming in and assuming god control of yeah. this place and sending another team to, to dethrone them. And yeah. now I'm the god. Now we're the ghoul. So, I think that would have gone over way better. Although, so this is an interesting thing. So we're, at this point, we're more than halfway into the episode. And this is the first time this whole orange sky device has been brought up, which is a fairly significant plot point to like leave for this late in the game. It seems to me. I don't I know. Guess it was in the cave painting. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously the thing that was in the cave painting, but yeah, it was weird. 
Yeah. As far as yeah. a quick fix for this planet goes, it kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah. No. Yeah. Jonas is joining Carter the temple, and Carter says that by the time it's built, there will be no one left to worship him. And uh, Jonas goes, please, mere survival for these people will require unquestioning faith, pure devotion. They must believe in me if I'm to lead them into the desert to the promised land. I'm merely separating the wheat from the chaff. Besides, I'm supposed to be crazy, right? He's really buying into the whole, like, Moses God, you know, leader of the lost people thing. He's firmly decided on his God approach here. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He's like, I've read a book about how how to be a God. Yeah. (laughs) How to steal all the stuff from the Bible. Yeah. So back at uh, SG-1's camp, Tilk is drawing a picture of the sort of table altar-like thing that's in the cave drawing that Jonas was showing Sam. And Tilk explains that he's seen the ghoul use a device like this to create an energy field high in the air. Probably as some sort of, you know, protection from radiation or whatever harmful things might be on the planet that terraforming didn't completely get rid of. Uh, Jamal confirms that the thing that Tilk has drawn is the thing in the cave paintings. And Jamala also confirms that he has seen that device in person. So this thing is there on the planet. And this is what Jonas is going to use. Uh, Jamala also commends Tilk on his excellent drawing ability. Yes. <laughs> which, which is hilarious. Yeah, because it's the most simple, like, just pencil drawing. It would have been on the cave wall. Yeah. Like, yeah. He, he did the drawing, and then he's like, okay, Jamala, where on this drawing would you say that the temple is? And Jamala's like, oh, this is easy to read, this map right here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that's a bit later. We're not quite there yet. Oh, oh yeah, okay. this is the first drawing. This which is the was first drawing. Kiel's drawing of that altar is crappy. It really is. It's not that great. <laughs> I mean, it's good enough for Jamala to recognize, so... Yeah. Can't sure. be too Was bad. Was it better or worse than the cave drawing? Oh, the cave drawing is beautiful. Oh, yeah. For sure. The cave drawing is absolutely better. Like, sketched out a rhombus and was like, this is it. I I know this rhombus. (laughs) (laughs) Which is not really cave quality. No. (laughs) No. Which is weird, because when we see the device, the drawings don't really look anything like the actual device. No. But we'll get there. Uh, Well, we'll get there right now, because... um, (laughs) So, back in... I don't know if it's the same cave or it's another cave... But Jonas leads Sam to this thing that's covered with a tarp, and he uncovers it, and it's apparently the device that was on the cave paintings. And Jonas says that from what he's been able to gather from the local people, the ancient gods used it to turn the sky orange and protect everybody. But he doesn't know how to make it work, and Sam's like, so this is why you wanted me to come. You want me to just make your machine work. Yeah, she goes, said that, but yeah. did he want her to come? What? How? How did he manage that? Did he say, bring me Sam Carter? No, they just knew that, you know, they'd been MIA for so long. You got to send the top dog. So, yeah. Yeah, but he didn't do that to get Sam. He did that because he thinks he's a guy. <laughs> well, I yeah. guess we're finding out right now that he did do it. Although, it's kind of hard to trust everything this guy says. It's very right? weird. Yeah. I was. It, it was a little unclear, like, is SG-1 coming a happy accident that he's taking advantage of? Or did he, like, let Frakes and Connor go with the intent that, they would raise the alarm and bring SG-1. It's, I, I wish that know. had been made more clear, because that would have been yeah. cool. That would have been like, wow, this guy's played fourth-level chess. Yeah. yeah. I, w- I would imagine that every SG team has uh, a science, I'll say, in quote, science officer, or mm-hmm. a mathematician. You need someone who, who does machines. A nerd. Yeah, you need a, you need a regular nerd. You need a sociopolitical nerd. Yeah. 
<laughs> or an anthropologist of some kind, you need some muscle and you need a, uh, a, a leader. leader. Yeah. Which is why SG1 is the perfect team because you got all right. those things. Perfectly balanced. Oh, they're the best team. Yeah. They are. So Jonas says, I mean, he kind of agrees with her, but then he also says that he wanted her to be his goddess, which she's yeah. just like, oh, uh, every, and every woman cringed. Yes, we did. <laughs> I cringed too. I cringed also. <laughs> okay, good. If just because my reproductive you organs good. are on the outside doesn't mean I didn't cringe. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't mean you can't also cringe. <laughs> and so then Jonas then quotes from the Bible, he hath not failed one word of his good promises. Which is from First Kings chapter eight verse fifty six, which the full verse is actually Blessed be the Lord that hath given rest unto his people Israel, according to all that he promised. There hath not failed one word of all his good promise, which he promised by the hand of Moses his servant. So he's sort of corrupting like Bible verses to his purpose here mm-hmm. because what he's using this verse to mean is really not what this verse means, and then like he pulls out a Bible from his robes and says, all along I've been looking for God, and here I am. Enough with this guy. (laughs) Yes, please, can we, like, just, we need to not... Punch this guy guy in the belly. You know who he reminds me of? Who? This performance um, from Batman Forever, uh, Jim Carrey. Uh, He's approaching Jim Carrey levels, like, I don't yeah, know there's what like it a is. quivering in the delivery of some of his words. He's like, I, I am a god. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I can kind of see that. Huh. Like way over the top, but also trying to, you know, you're playing the character. Yeah. Yeah. It's so over the top. I mean, the and yeah, the guy is the the character he's playing has gone crazy. He's lost his fucking mind. Yeah. 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 yeah for sure. He's completely lost it. So Tilk and Jamala are talking, and Jamala asks Tilk if he betrayed his gods the same way that he, Jamala, is betraying his. And Tilk goes, the beings I betrayed were not gods. They had power, but power alone does not make one a god. Which is very interesting, and I think, you know, sort of becomes a running theme throughout, like, this whole series. Like, just because you have power doesn't mean anything. Power can be taken away from anybody at any time. I think that's interesting. And that's a good line for Teal. I mean, yes. it's, he's exactly the guy you want on this yeah. mission. That's also Teal's favorite conversation to have. Yes. <laughs> Talk yeah, about all the conversation cool. a lot. They were gods. No, no. Yeah. Um, and we also see here that Jamala and Jack have traded clothes. So it seems, you know, sort of Jack is ready, getting ready to sort of go in undercover to get Connor. And Daniel mentions that they still need to get Sam, but, you know, Tilk being able at least to turn on the device would seriously harm Hanson standing amongst his people. And Tilk says that there's a problem with that plan. Okay, now there's a problem? Like, why now is there, like, you couldn't have mentioned this before, because apparently there's not just one device, but two. And both have to be turned on in order to make the force field, which completely makes sense when you think about how, you know, force fields as a science fiction thing, are supposed to work. Like, that does make sense, but you couldn't have mentioned this when the whole device was first mentioned? Okay, so now we have to, like, change the plan because we can't just go and get Carter to turn on the device. We now have to find a second device. Also, it's right next to the gate, isn't it? It It is. Why didn't they see it when they got there? Well, no, that's the one that Hansen has in the cave. Apparently it's portable enough he could just oh. pick it up from the gate and, like, take it to the cave. Okay. But the other one is near where they're building the temple. Or yeah. at least on his drawing, that's how it appears. Yeah. yeah, so this is where Tilk has drawn that very crude map of, like, the there's, like... You mean very cool map. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it was excellent. 
Very excellent. So, if like, you ask his fast friend, <laughs> Jamal. <laughs> yeah, so he's drawn the valley, and like on one side is the gate, on the other side is the temple, and they ask Jamal like where the first device was found, and that's when he points to the area near the gate. So then, given <laughs> what Tilt knows about how the device works, Tilt then indicates that there the other device must be somewhere near the temple. So apparently, also the device has like a limited range. So, which would have to mean there has to be some sort of population control if the device only covers a certain range. Oh, that's why there's only like 20 people? Perhaps, but they're outgrowing the cave. Well, usually so, there'd be there's a, 25 people. Well, when the devices <laughs> were operational, there would have been Jafaz there murdering people left and right. Yeah. <laughs> that's also true. But also, it just seems like such a device would be have to be very heavy. But oh, yeah. It's apparently not because Hansen could take it from the gate to the cave. So well, he probably made his slaves do it. I guess all ten of them. <laughs> yeah, they're all very strong. He said yeah. they're breeding like rabbits. He did, which is like that was really gross, and I was like, oh. it was, yeah, like because it's like right after he he said that, like pretty soon after he said they're humans like us. Yeah, but it's like they're you're dehumanizing them, but I don't know what you believe. Yeah, he seems to be bouncing sort of back and forth a lot between, like, treating them as people when it suits him and then treating them like animals when it suits yeah. him. Wait, so, timeline question. So, if they were only supposed to have been there for, like, a little over a month and he's already like, these people are breeding like rabbits, that's... That's a good really... point. Yeah, yeah, like, is do these people keep a census where, you know, every few <laughs> years they just count everybody that's there? And there's records of that that he was able to see. I think every time he walks into a cave, these folks be fucking. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, they're so happy I'm here. Did you see what they're doing? <laughs> yeah. I guess maybe in the month that he was there, like, you know, 17 babies were born. And he's like, what the fuck? I mean, that's there's only 12 of you. Eat, but <laughs> yeah. There's 17 babies and there's only 12 of you. How does that even happen? <laughs> <laughs> Many twins. <laughs> and a triple set. <laughs> Jack goes off after Connor, and then Daniel, Tilk, and Jamala take off into the woods to try and find the second device. And they eventually come across, like, a large stone platform, and Jamala says that that's, like, the one where they found the first device, but there's no device there. But there is some sort of large circular stone in the middle of the floor, which, okay, a couple things. Did you notice the goof in this scene? No. No. So, as part of it, so Tilk walks up onto the platform and, like, taps the ground with his staff weapon, but his staff weapon, like, never actually makes contact with the ground. If you look closely, it stops a good, like, six inches off the ground. Uh, probably because it would have broken if he had actually I know. hit it. Hey, it's you like, know what? I actually did notice that, and I thought, at first, I thought it was invisible. Oh, like he was hitting the, the force Yeah, field. yeah, but then, but then it kind of went on, and it, I forgot that I thought that. <laughs> yeah. They also, you can see in the background, uh, Daniel and... and uh, Jamal are down there like, like trying to let him to get the fuck out of the way. <laughs> but like what, like why did they think the device was under that stone circle rather than just not being there? Like why were they like, oh, the device is under here. I don't know if like, I would make that leap immediately. Maybe um, like the only thing that makes sense is Teal knows that it goes underground or something. But oh, why? could be. But Why? But why? How do you activate it if it's under there? It's like the ghouls were leaving, and they didn't want these people to be able to use it. So they uh, built an altar on top of it? Maybe. But then how did they... Surely they were like, if they can't see it, they don't know it's there. Ha <laughs> yeah, yeah, stupid. <laughs> <But the laughs> Rather than taking was... it away. But the first one was still Too out heavy. in the open because Hansen found it by the gate? Yeah. Or did well, Hansen... they're like, it's useless, it's only one. Should we build two altars and hide both of them? 
No, just hide one of them. It doesn't matter. The ultimate prank is what this was. Because the ghouls are lazy, too. That's true. They're forget. You know what else? We were talking about their terraforming and, like, that that's something they do. But then also they weren't even able to successfully terraform this planet because it still sucks. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. actually, all the technology the ghouls have isn't even that good. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's all scavenged from other races, really. Yeah. So maybe uh, they realized that, and that's why they were like, meh, bye. Yeah, yeah. it sucks. <laughs> and they only have red rocks. It's not even knack what I hear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, so the device is, we, we think, under the circle, and we're going to try and get it out somehow. So we cut to Jack, who's down in the valley, and he now has a dart gun from somewhere, because it didn't look like Jamala had one, but maybe he did and hidden his robes somewhere. But he takes out the guard who's, like, standing watch over the prisoners and goes to free just Connor. And they start to walk away when Baker appears with some of the other indigenous folks and stop them. And Jack mouths off, as he does, and gets backhanded for his trouble. And Baker takes his weapon, and the two of them are going to get brought to Hanson, basically. And we see Sam in the cave running some sort of diagnostic on the device, because apparently Sam always carries that weird yellow science thing tech thing she loves her. she just loves she lives to run a diagnostic <laughs> she does but she says that the control board seems to follow the same basic circuitry patterns as the gate technology hmm. Wait, okay what does that mean that's weird also because the ghoul didn't build the gate no that's a good point but maybe they uh retro engineered some of the technology and used it in other things well but they didn't invent anything you know it, it's it's really not even until we get to ball where we meet a smart ghoul yeah, it's true. It's true, yeah. The rest of them are just bad guys. They're just big, mean bad guys. Who have ships. Who yeah. Stuff and right. weapons. And Hanson's like, that's great, turn it on. Like, that's all he cares about. So Jack and Connor get brought into the cave, and Hanson orders Jack to be shot, and Sam's like, no, wait, stop. And Hanson goes, all right, if you can turn it on, I'll spare Jack's life. So she just, like, leans over and, like, flicks one switch, and it turns on. He's like, did you even try it? Yeah. <laughs> like, did he even like try and like push any buttons? He's like, I'm not a scientist, even... damn it, I'm a god. Yeah. <laughs> because that's just... the classic IT move. Turn it off and on again. Yeah. <laughs> did he try to reboot it? I know. It just seems so easy for how Hanson was going on about I can't make it work. Did you push the button? <laughs> Apparently not. What does he do at home with his microwave? He's like, how does this contraption work? <laughs> uh, I gotta get Sam over here. <laughs> the button wasn't in the game painting. <laughs> That's that power thing she was talking about. He's always pulling that shit. Yeah. So back at the stone platform, Daniel and Tilker just sort of are standing around the second device because they've gotten it like out of the ground. And Jamala comes running back because apparently he ran off somewhere. And he tells us that everyone is gathering around the Stargate. So something is going on now. Back at the gate, we see the gate has been like knocked over and is laying on the ground with everybody standing around it. And the device is up on the gate platform. And Hanson is basically like proselytizing to the people and like, I am God, I have been sent here and I will make the sky orange and I will save you. But before that, he's going to send Jack and Connor home, back to where they came from, and then they will bury the gate to keep any devils from coming. So no devils will come back, something like that. So I'm assuming he dials Earth. I don't know. He could dial anywhere, but I'm assuming he dials Earth. Well, he says it's Earth. Yeah. He's also pretty okay. stupid. It's probably the only address he knows. Yeah. That's true. Um, so he dials Earth, but he doesn't send the GDO signal. Yeah. So the iris is going to stay closed, and Jack and Connor are just basically going to like go splat. 
if they get shoved through. Uh, luckily, before that happens, Daniel and Jamala come running out of the woods, and Jamala file fires Tilk's staff weapon at Baker, like hitting him and knocking him down. Hansen draws his gun. Carter does this really cool, like, kick and kicks it out of his hand, and Hansen hits <laughs> her. And then Jamala files, fires the staff weapon again, but it, like, sort of over Hansen's head to just distract him. And Daniel begins explaining that Hansen is not a god. And Hansen's like, yes, I am. And they're devils. And there's this like whole back and forth of he's not a god. Yes, I am. They're evil and blah, blah, blah. And Hansen, to try and prove that he is a god, turns on the device. And the beam just shoots into the air. But nothing happens. Like, there's no shield. There's nothing to protect them. And I swear, one of the background actors in the scene looks just like Dave Grohl. It was very distracting. (laughs) So Daniel then jumps in and is like, ah, it takes two devices. And Jamala fires his staff weapon as a sort of signal to Tilk, who then turns on the second device. And we see the shield get activated and the sky does turn orange. And Hanson grabs Carter and he's basically going to jump through the gate, killing them. Jack has managed to uh, escape his like the rope he's been tied up with and tackles Hansen. And then all of the other indigenous people also jump in and attack him and grab him and throw him through the gate. And uh, Hansen has now been splatted against the iris. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody has more. Uh, nobody's kill count in uh, SG-1 is higher than the iris. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Like, number one murder of people in Stargate, the iris. Yeah. Yeah, so we cut to sometime later, and the gate is back upright, and Sam confesses that she had the chance to kill Hansen, but didn't take it. And then there's this really nice exchange between O'Neill and Carter, where O'Neill goes, killing a man is no badge of honor, Captain. Carter goes, I know. O'Neill says, look, I'm no expert on this thing, with indicating the Bible that Hansen had. I generally read one no one commandment and i think it's the first and carter goes i am the lord your god you shall take no other gods before me o'neill goes okay so it's not the first one i'm talking about the no killing one no matter what the reason every time you break it you take one step closer to hansen so a we get the episode title in this which is great the first commandment which is the i am the lord your god you shall take no other Uh, gods before me which is very appropriate and completely encapsulates what this episode is about but also, you know, the no killing one, like, you know, they may be soldiers, but they don't go about killing indiscriminately. Every time I mean, they could have just got there and killed everybody if they wanted. All yeah, the guys but, with blowguns, all the soldiers. Yeah, but like, what purpose would that serve, really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, sure, you could do that, but for what, to what end? Well, yeah. it's going to wrap up your business and leave. Yeah. Right. And then you get back and Hammond's like, how did it go? You're like, oh. Everybody's dead. Yeah, we did. Well, you'd be like, we killed the guy who was pretending to be a god. Then the other guy shot at us. We killed them, too. Then the tribal guy shot at us. And we actually killed them, too. Tilk was yelling, false god this, false god that. <laughs> so so um, much paperwork. <laughs> Carter did all the shooting, not me. Yeah. <laughs> And it, it kind of seems like we might be sort of leaving Jamala in charge a little bit. Um, like there's a They bit leave, of- and then he's like, I am your god now. <laughs> <laughs> I am your one true god, Jamala. Look at the uh, floppy hat that I have. <laughs> Heavy is the head that wears the floppy hat. 
Let's finish this tempo, you guys. <laughs> but, you know, we've, we've got the device activated. They're now protected from the horrible UV ra- radiation from the sun. So we dial the gate, we send the signal, and we go home. And the end. That was the first commandment. What do you guys one. think? Yeah. <laughs> there, there was one comment when I was like, you know, sort of doing research for this episode. I was reading through the, the four monkey world for this episode. And one person had mentioned that it seemed a little early for somebody from the SGC to have like gone nuts like this. What do you guys yeah. think? Like, do you agree? Do you not agree? I think maybe they don't. They haven't worked out all the psychological testing that needs to happen before you can leave the planet. And that this guy may have been a, the first red flag where they're like, we got to really lock that down. Yeah, they're like, next time somebody is described as having power issues, we probably shouldn't sign that guy. He can work in the SGC, but not go off world. Yeah, Carter referred to him as a lunatic fringe, so I don't think he should be on any SG teams. <laughs> Let alone leading one. Yeah, yeah. yeah, right? Yeah, they put him in yeah. charge of other people, and he has control issues. Yeah, it's true. He's kind of a cult of personality yeah, guy. Yeah, also. yeah. After so many of these episodes, like in the first season, it's like, okay, so we shouldn't do that next time. All right. Yeah. Just like wall up the gate and just forget about it because it's a problem every time. But we have to find Scara and Share. Sure. Yeah. That's what we're doing. Yeah. Which, yeah, it's like, it's been like four episodes and is that still what we're doing? I don't think so. There hasn't been any mention of them in quite a while. I think mostly they're just looking for weapons. Yeah. (laughs) Every yeah. once in a while, Daniel's like, Sharae, no! <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I wonder if Sharae's here. No. Well, He's I guess like, uh, we didn't, at the beginning of this, or what is it, it's like the last episode when they go through with the Marines, and they're like, we can't have the yeah. Marines go through because they might shoot fucking Skara if he's there. Yeah. <laughs> so oh, they yeah, like, that's true. Pickle it, pickle it in. That's not a phrase. <laughs> <They're pickling laughs> Sprinkle. They just pickled Sprinkle. it in. Is that the word you're looking for? <laughs> uh, okay. I mean, not a great one. No, I didn't think it was great. It was interesting, but also, yeah. unre- like, I don't want to say unrealistic, but, like, the, the amount of hoops they had to jump through to make me believe that that guy really just decided he was a god, I didn't really buy it. Do you think if this yeah. was maybe in, like, the second half of season one, it might have worked better, where if we'd, like, sort of spent more time with SG teams in general and what, you know, going to various planets is like? I think if it had been later and the episode was exactly the same, I would have had an even bigger problem with how Carter experiences the situation. Mm. Like, I feel like this guy shouldn't be able to get in Carter's head, but he does right away. Yeah. Especially because she already broke up with him. So it's like, they recognized him as like a a weirdo and was like, all right, well, I'm not going to deal with this guy anymore. So like, why would he have any real power over her? But But somehow he does. But it's just, I think it's one of those things. It's the first 10 episodes of a long running show. So it's like, they're still trying to figure out the plots and, like, how the episode... Like, this is not how most episodes start. Like, it's kind of a weird one when it starts. We're not even at the SGC. Really. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, yeah. it, it doesn't fall into the episodic tropes as all the other ones, so it all, off the bat feels weird. Yeah, they were trying lot. out something. Yeah, it seems like, yeah, they're still in the, let's try this. Did it work? Mm, not so much. Okay, we won't do that yeah. again. No. The <laughs> idea was cool, but the execution was like, really? Yeah. For yeah. Beyonce? Yeah. Really? Corey's dad? Okay. Yeah. Of all the guys in the universe, you pick Corey's dad. <laughs> <laughs> well, this was before he was Corey's dad. Still. Hey, Corey's um, mom picked him also. <laughs> before Have you we said wrap- his name at all? Uh, Jonas. William Russ? Oh, no. The, the actor's, actor's name. name. No. Yes. What was he, his name? We don't William need it. He's just, no. he's just Corey's dad. Cor- yes, William Russ. William, Corey's dad, Russ. <laughs> <laughs> 
I also thought that the timing in this episode was weird because they also, because the fact that they had been there for like five weeks, I'm kind of surprised that they would have let it go that long before checking in on them. Like, right. how long are these teams mm-hmm. supposed to be on a planet? You'd think, like, after a few days, they would have been like, hey, we haven't heard from these guys. They yeah. probably see what's going on. Maybe they called, and then William Ross, he was just like, uh, everything's fine over here. Uh, how are you? Oh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's true. They could have been checking in, you know, on a weekly basis and been like, everything's fine. We're still learning lots of cool stuff. Maybe, but I don't see that guy changing his demeanor when he's talking to the SGC. He yeah. Like, by the time he gets back to the gate, he's like, well, I'm a god now. I have this robe, and I saved this child. So kneel before me, Earth. All right, we're building a temple. To beat you up. Oh, whoops. <laughs> <laughs> don't send backup, but really send backup. But don't send any backup. That was right. my overall commentary. <laughs> okay. Uh, anything else about the first commandment, or did we do it? I think I think we nailed it. Do we talk about how he's Corey's dad? Is that... <laughs> yes. In case you guys haven't gotten it, William Russ is the dad from Boy Meets World. <laughs> FYI. Imagine you listen to this whole podcast not knowing who Corey is, and you're right. like, what the fuck are they talking about? Well, shut up about this Corey guy and his dad. <laughs> he owns a grocery store. <laughs> All right. Well, Mikey Jeremy, where can our listeners find you? Oh, uh, you can go to MikeyAndJeremy.com. And uh, you can find links to all our podcasts there. We have a podcast about Smallville. It's a show. We have a podcast about Cobra Kai. That's a show. We have a podcast <laughs> called Ketchup in the Living Room, where we talk about all the shows. And is that all our podcasts? Yep. Yeah, there you go. And then we, you, you can find anything else you need on the website regarding merch or our Patreon. MikeyandJeremy.com. Very cool. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. You can find us on Twitter at SG underscore Rewatch or email us at Woo, that's W-O-O, SG Rewatch at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, please, so more people can find us. And we will see you next week for Cold Lazarus. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.